When asked about their pets, nearly all pet owners say their pet is a member of the family. Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald has worked in veterinary medicine for more than 25 years, sharing his love of animals. But he has also been a stand-up comedian for more than 30 years. Dr. Fitzgerald joins Denver DA Mitch Morrissey on this edition of Dialogue Denver DA. Hello everyone, I'm Tamara Banks. Welcome back to Dialogue Denver DA. Mitch, always great to see you. Good to see you, Tamara. And we have a terrific guest today. Do you want to tell us who it is? Well, we do. And actually, uh, he is related to me. He is, he is my cousin. Uh, he's Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald. And I think that anybody that goes to Alameda East or cares about animals in this town has seen Kevin. Kevin's on TV on a regular basis with his dog, Yoda. I think once a week at least, and <laughs> he is also a great stand-up comic in town and all across the country and has been for decades. Well, Dr. Fitzgerald, so great to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm really curious about how you got interested in becoming a veterinarian first. I'm going to go to the comedy stuff a little bit later, but first tell us about your background. Well, I, I'm a Denver kid, like Mitch, you know, we, we grew up here, you know, and, and if you like animals and you like science and, and medicine, veterinary medicine is a great mix. So as, as a kid, I, I worked as a kennel boy, and, and uh, when, when you're young, I think that most of us are lucky and have some older person that take an interest in us and say, you can do this. And mm -hmm. so I worked with this older veterinarian that yeah. said, you know, yeah, man, why don't, why don't you try it? Yeah, stick with it, stick with it. And you just need some encouragement sometimes. So what's your specialty as it relates to veterinary medicine? Well, I see anything with a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do small animals. I do small animal emergency. I, I see a lot of exotics, though. I see reptiles and, and ferrets and guinea pigs and a lot of the non-traditional pets that are, that are out there. Six percent of American homes, now 66 percent of American homes have, have animals, uh -huh. and six percent have more non-traditional things. They go in fads, everything from snakes to spiders to, you know, to things that you'd never think of. Has anyone brought in their pet spider <laughs> or pet snake? We see snakes all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> spiders, we're not supposed to be afraid of any animals, but I'm afraid of spiders. Oh. The way they move and they creep you out. They, yeah. You know, a bug shouldn't have hair on it. Right. And now the pet stores are selling <laughs> big tarantulas and hobo spiders and wolf spiders. Guy comes in with a plastic shoe box and goes, be really careful. I got out a year ago. He bit my arm in the face, and he had to have his head drained. <laughs> so you're like, oh. get a phone book, you know. That's, <laughs> but right. that's, that's not a practice you. builder dropping a phone book on your patient. Right. So to me, it's interesting to what people can become affectionate toward. You know, we have mm -hmm. empathy toward. You know, that people can uh, fall in love with a, with a, a, a pet. That you know, and, and it's a, a maybe it's a guinea pig or. or uh, you know, a, a rodent, and you, you, you're a rabbit. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think that, that people can have that. So I think that always gives me hope for, for humans. Right. And so you said 60%, 66% of American 66 homes? 66% of American homes have some kind of animal. It could be an aquarium. It could be that they, they have, you know, and so as we become more urban, cats have surpassed America, uh, in, in American homes, cats have surpassed dogs. But there's been an interesting thing in, in American culture. In 1957, the AVMA did a telephone survey and asked, 
Do you think your pet's part of the family? And in 1957, 43% of Americans said it was part of the family. Did the same thing in 2007, 50 years later, and 97% of Americans said, wow. yeah, the pet's part of the family. <clears throat> so I think we've seen a change in in public opinion in how people treat their animals. Mm -hmm. Speaking of treating animals, most people love their pets and take care of them and treat them well, but you also see animals who've been abused. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do as it relates to abused animals. Well, as an as a emergency room veterinarian, we often see animals that are, are injured, and we try to our best ability to find out the, the source of the injury. But by seeing ab abused animals, I think it, it, oftentimes it's an indicator, and we know that through good research and recent papers that recent studies that there's, there's a, a, a significant link between animal abuse and then human violence. Mm -hmm. So for instance, for, uh, in, in homes where a child is being beaten 88% of the time, the pet is being abused. And, and then a, a recent study in 2003 said for ab abuse, spousal abuse of, of women that where the wife is being beaten, that 83% of the time the animal is being abused. So I think recognition of abuse and reporting it is is is, is very important and, and people speaking up and saying yeah, this doesn't seem right and, and, and speaking up I think too often <coughs> it's oh it's not my business you know and it goes under the rug mm -hmm. but by you know stronger laws you know for for abuse of, of animals and and malicious types of things because I think by recognizing abuse and using that as a predictor or an indicator of future problems in a child when right. they start to do those things. We know that now. It's not the New England Journal of Medicine, you know, had, had, had several uh, studies that were, were done long term at the University of Pennsylvania Medical School. Mm -hmm. and, and so we see these, these, these studies that, that tell us that uh, by, by finding out and, and seeing these signs early, right. then, then maybe we can stem things. They sort of underscore what we knew intuitively, Mitch. I imagine working with somebody like uh, Dr. Fitzgerald, not only because he's your cousin, but because he can identify some of the things that are happening to animals that might be happening to a human victim. Well, uh, yeah, obviously there is that strong connection. If you draw a circle, you know, they, they intersect with animal abuse, domestic violence, child abuse. They intersect. Abusers abuse everybody in a household. And what I've always heard was that in a house where there's domestic violence, you don't find old dogs mm. because they don't live. You know, if you think about it, a dog being a member of a family, when something is going on, abusive, the dog's going to get involved in it. Yeah. The dog's going to get in the way. The dog may take up for one of the people, that kind of thing. They end up badly injured. And uh, Kevin sees those. And so the role we have with Kevin is that sometimes he sees the abused animals. Oftentimes the police bring him the abused animals. Mm -hmm. uh, he does a lot of surgeries. Uh, he will help repair things that abusers have done to animals. And then sometimes we'll have elements of, child, of, of animal abuse where we need an expert witness, somebody that knows what they're talking about, somebody that would know how a chemical, for instance, would would react on a certain type of animal or something and we turn to Kevin for that kind of expertise because he's the one out there uh, that would come into court then and testify when we have somebody charged with cruelty to animals and that can be a misdemeanor offense 
or that can be a felony offense where somebody could go to prison. It just depends. But the one thing I will tell you, the case I got the most letters on in my entire career was an animal abuse case. It was a domestic violence case where the abuser beat his mother-in-law's chihuahua to death mm. with a shovel mm. because he was upset with her and upset with his spouse. And that got more national attention and it, I got stacks of letters, give this guy the max, you know, right. and that's what people think about when they think about animal abuse. People get very upset about it. But I think Kevin's point that it is really a telltale sign that humans in that home are getting abused also, mm -hmm. wives and children, I think we really need to pay attention to that. Absolutely. It's a good indicator. And they're just defenseless. The animal didn't ask to be put in this situation. Are there some common injuries, and again, knowing that we'll have a variety of viewers uh, watching this, are there some common um, injuries you see or even maybe some trends nowadays that you haven't seen before? <clears throat> well, I think the types of injuries I see are, are usually traumatic injuries, mm -hmm. fractures, punches, being struck by something, something thrown at them, the animal picked up and thrown. Those are, those are the types of things. But, but I think one thing I'd like to point out that another type of, of abuse is, is not so visible, but it's neglect. Right. Where, where an animal is, is just neglected. And when there's neglect in the house, there usually is neglect of elderly or children too. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to pay attention to that. That, you know, not only is the, the animal in filth, but the little kid hasn't had a, a, a good meal or hasn't been, been fed right or, or hasn't had good nutrition. Or there's an elderly person that's in a back room someplace that's not being taken care of. So I, th I think we need to pay attention to neglect oftentimes with, with hoarders. You know, that, that's a, a cry for help. So, so hoarding and neglect in addition to just, you know, the horrible traumatic injuries. But, but these other things are, are, are warning signs that, wow, there's something else happening here mm -hmm. that we need to pay attention to. Let me bring in another topic in this discussion, one of Mitch's fair, uh, favorites, and that's marijuana. Are you seeing animals being impacted by the uh, legalization of marijuana? Since, since the change in the law, we've seen one to two dogs a day in our busy uh, emergency room. So, you know, our receptionists can see it across the room now. <laughs> they come in and go, oh, a pot dog. Uh -huh. You know, because they eat the edibles, they eat the cookies, they eat the brownies. Dogs, not so much cats, dogs have a, a sweet tooth and they, they like the things we like. So, you know, the person's supposed to eat, a, like today, uh, we had uh, a quarter of a brownie was the dosage for a person. Mm -hmm. Well, the 22 pound Jack Russell got up there and ate eight brownies. Oh, so, gosh. you know, I'm Irish. If I see a brownie, I can't eat a quarter of it. I eat the, <laughs> the whole, whole thing. thing. <laughs> and so, so the dogs are the same thing. So, yeah. so I think we have to pay attention. And, and again, you know, I, I think what's happening in, in pets sometimes uh, w with abuse, but also like with marijuana can be an indicator of what's happening with children. Mm. And so at the, at the Rocky Mountain Poison and Drug Center, we're seeing a, you know, a, a tremendous increase in, in a, a four-year-old can't read the, the label, no matter how safe the package is, no how, how visible the label is, he can't read. Right. All he knows is there's there's cookies in there, you know, mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. he, he's got good little fingers that, you know, can w even work a cell phone now. Right, you know? right. So he can open it. 
<laughs> so would that be considered um, abuse, uh, animal abuse? It could, it, mm -hmm. could, it could fit the elements of, of, uh, of animal abuse. I think that that would probably be uh, a negligent type act, you know, allowing, leaving it in a way that your dog could get to it, mm -hmm. that type of thing. Uh, so it would be a lower level animal abuse. It's not mm -hmm. like an intentional act or you're knowingly abusing this animal, but you've left it in a way that someone could get into it, an animal or a child. And it would be the same kind of child abuse then that you'd see too. I don't know if Kevin has seen it, but another thing that we've seen is these people that use their homes to grow and expose their kids then to all kinds of respiratory problems that they get because of the spores and the mold that goes along with these growths. So they may have a large grow in the basement. We charged someone with child abuse was actually drying the pot next to the cornflakes and the kids' cereals in the kitchen. Uh, they are exposed to all kinds of uh, respiratory issues around growing it in somebody's home and there's fire issues all those kinds of things and I don't know if Kevin sees that with animals as much but uh, clearly could be animal abuse or neglect by leaving it out so, an, so a dog can eat it. We're going to take a break we have lots more to talk about we're here with uh, Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald America's favorite veterinarian or at least Denver's favorite um, veterinarian. We'll be right back. Sidewalks after snowstorms helps ensure the safety and mobility of our entire community. What's inconvenient to you could be dangerous or even life-threatening to senior citizens and people with disabilities. We all need to help make our community safe and accessible for everyone. Welcome back to Dialogue Denver DA. I'm Tamara Banks, and this is the part of the program where we talk about a legal offense. And our legal, uh, uh, excuse me, our legal term this time around is lesser included offenses. And the definition is lesser included offenses are offenses in which one or more element of the more serious offense isn't present or proven. For example, simple robbery is a lesser included offense of aggravated robbery because every element is simple robbery of simple robbery is included in the offense of aggravated robbery. So, Mitch, kind of explain that. Well, you have different levels of crimes. So if you think about it, the example that's there, aggravated robbery is robbery with a gun. So the element of aggravated robbery, that's the more serious offense. The lesser included offense is robbery. Mm -hmm. You've got a robbery there, there just wasn't a gun involved. Murder is the same way. First degree murder is killing somebody intentionally and after deliberation. Second degree murder is knowingly killing somebody. So it is included. You're knowingly killing somebody if you're intentionally killing somebody and you're doing it after deliberation. So it's included. And what happens is when we try a first degree murder, for instance, the jury gets to decide if it's first degree murder, 
second-degree murder, manslaughter, and even criminally negligent homicide, which is criminally negligently killing someone. Mm -hmm. They get to consider all of those offenses as lesser included offenses, and then of course they get to consider not guilty as another, you know, we didn't prove any of those offenses. So you'll see where someone went to trial on first degree murder and got convicted of the lesser included of second degree murder. And that happens a lot in our system. But if you think about it, the principal crime has a lesser crime inside it, it's just missing one element, and with that element, it makes it a more serious case. So it's a lesser included crime. Gotcha, okay. Well, getting back to our guest here, Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald, you were about to tell us about um, wildlife animals that have issues too, or I should say the domestic animals have problems with wildlife. What do you, uh, what do you encounter? As we become more urban, we're expand, expanding the city and the suburbs into areas where <clears throat> normally wildlife, Colorado is so rich in wildlife, and we're, we're in their backyard. And, and so people are constantly amazed. At, at, and some of these animals have, have gone the other way and have learned how to exploit human habitations with golf courses and trash cans and you know, foxes figuring out, wow, it's easier to go up and take that fat cat off that porch rather than chase down a bunny, you know, a fast rabbit. So we're starting to see uh, problems with urban wildlife. Right, right, in, right in Denver, I, I think it would be interesting to take inner city children on a, a you know, a urban safari and see how many urban animals, how many different species they could see within the city limits within a 24-hour period. Downtown, uh, in some of the buildings, we know we have peregrine falcons. You know, that, that now have realized, oh, you know, these pigeons, <laughs> these things are, are, these big fat pigeons are, are great to eat. Right. And so we got peregrine falcons within the city limits. We have raccoons, we have foxes, we have coyotes, you know, we, we have uh, all these, these different animals, owls and, and bats. Bats have always been here and used human habitations. So I think we have to be careful. People say all the time, it's 10 o'clock, do you know where your kids are? I think it's 10 o'clock, do you know where your pets are? We, we have problems all the time with backyard. Uh, fish ponds where the raccoons have come in and gone, you know, you know those orange things are pretty good. Right. <laughs> I think I'll eat some of those <laughs> koi, you know. Right so, there for so, them. Uh, yeah, so I think we need to we pay attention and keep our animals vaccinated. Many of the diseases, rabies and stuff, you know, we say gone but not forgotten. Many of the things are forgotten but not gone. And, and so I think we have to pay attention to that. You know, I got to go with Kevin uh, out near Buckley he was studying rattlesnakes at the time, and oh. he had put uh, radios in the transmitters in the snakes, so oh, then wow. we could go back and find the snakes and pull them out, weigh them, see if they were pregnant, see you know what was going on with them. And the thing that was most amazing about it is there was these two high school kids with us, and they were clearly part of this investigation of this study that Kevin was doing, and he was including these young men and they were going to write a paper and Kevin was going to be the principal author but their names were going to go on that paper and you could mm -hmm. tell there's their enthusiasm uh, and you know they were really looking up to Kevin and to see that and the impact he was having on the next generation and I, I could pretty much bet these young guys are going to end up being veterinarians or doing something in this field and it's really important that you have the kind of influence that Kevin had. And to watch that, you know, I'm not a big fan of rattlesnakes. And <laughs> we'd get right on top of them, and they'd pull them right out of 
where you could hardly even see him. But I think the amazing thing that a lot of people don't know about Kevin is that he studies polar bears, he studies penguins, he goes all over the world studying different types of animals. And that's why when we call him as a witness in an animal abuse case, uh, he's just an incredible expert witness. He's written papers, he's written books, uh, he's done it all pretty much when it comes to animals. And that's why we're lucky to have him here in Denver and he makes such a great witness. And you also teach people, young people around the world about uh, veterinary medicine. Tell us about your experience in Mongolia. Well, we're lucky. You know, I'm on the board of directors at the Denver Zoo. And I didn't know what I thought about zoos. You know, you think about different things. But the wonderful thing about the Denver Zoo is more children visit the Denver Zoo every year than adults go to the Rockies, the Avalanche, the Nuggets, and the Broncos combined. Hmm. So we get two million kids in there. And many urban kids are never going to get to go on, on an eco-tourism trip or something with their parents. But to see these little minds turn on. And the zoo uh, in 1994, uh, they, they with, with Dr. Rich Reading, uh, who had studied there, who, who had been uh, the, the vice president of conservation, he, they bought 187,000 acres in Mongolia and, and gave it back gradually to the Mongolians as a uh, game preserve, as a national park. And the Mongolians took to it like a fish to water. And so now we're training uh, veterinary students, uh, wildlife veterinarians, wildlife biologists in Mongolia, and bringing Mongolian students here to, to study, you know, at CSU, at the veterinary school, at our practice, and at the zoo. So I, th I think people look at the zoo sometimes with a, a jaundiced eye, but really the zoo, in, in terms of conservation, with their, their study sites and their commitment to animals all over the world, there's 10 million other kinds of uh, animals on the planet besides us. And, you know, and, and so we were given our wonderful intellect and this wonderful biodiversity. And all the other animals are waiting for us to use our intellect to, to save the place. But I think there's still time. And, and so I think, you know, I th we need to be optimistic. We can't be, in, in conservation of wildlife, you know, our, our successes are temporary, but our failures are permanent. I mean, when an animal becomes extinct, the world becomes a less interesting place. And the, the, the greatest hope we have for this world is the next generation of people, of children. So we need to work with them. When you do the study with the polar bears, are you studying um, global warming? We're studying uh, the effects of, of the ice moving farther back. Mm -hmm. uh, I know I, I've been, uh, I just went to the, close to the North Pole in, in September and, and tagged bears. And, and so we see how far they range, uh, their problems, um, birth rates, uh, weight of the animals, um, food availability. So, you know, there's a lot of deniers and, and people say it isn't true, but let them come with me. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your work with the Smithsonian. Well, I've been lucky to be a little kid from Denver and get to see a polar bear up close and personal and get to go to the Smithsonian to, uh, uh, you know, several times to some of their study sites in Antarctica and, and see uh, we were doing studies on, on penguins and garbage ingestion, particularly plastics, things that end up in the ocean. A styrofoam cup, it takes 400 years for it to decompose. So, you know, we feel bad about things in the ocean, but we did it until 1992 off of New Jersey and off of California. So I, I think that we, we need to, we need to pay attention. And, and people say, oh, what well, you know, what can I do? Well, there's so much you can do, you know, recycling and, and using less water. And, and, and the main thing is, you know, I think taking kids and taking them on a field trip or taking them to the mountains or taking 
you know, the things you remember most about your, your childhood is, you know, field trips or things you did, going mm -hmm. fishing with your, your grandfather or, or whatever, you know, a, a nature hike, buying him a pair of binoculars. So not only are you a talented and gifted um, doctor of veterinary medicine, you're also a stand-up comedian. Tell us a little bit about that. You, I mean, we're just not talking about your, um, you know, little hotel in some little small town. Like, you're kind of big-time comedian. You open for some pretty big names. Well, I don't know if I'm big-time, but <laughs> my mother told me, you know, I, I told her, I said, I want to be a comedian when I grow up, and she goes, well, you can't do both. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. But, but I think nobody, nobody laughs enough, and everybody thinks they're funny. Yeah. Everybody has their own rhythm and their own, their own humor. But I, th I think you, you can't write funnier things than your family or your, your, your job. And, and veterinary medicine lends itself w so well to, mm -hmm. to, you know, the people come in and, you know, how will I know when the diarrhea is over? You know, oh, <laughs> I can't help you. You know, <laughs> you know what, do you, what, do you, what do you give a great day with diarrhea? You know, plenty of room, you know. I mean, you know, the, the things that, that we see, you know, they come and they say, you know, uh, you know my... my uh, I think my puppy's e eaten a poison. Uh, someone give me an anecdote, you know. And, and yeah. <laughs> so you go. The two guys went into a bar. You yeah. know, I mean, so I, I think you can't you can't even make it up the things that happen that I see. And 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 so. So did you just sort of naturally fall into being a comedian? Just sort of your nature. I started writing jokes for other people, you know, and and then you, you gradually maybe think. Maybe I could do this, and and so I, it's it's been a wonderful. You know, some people play golf, and and so it started off as a hobby, and and then it turned into something else for me. But you've opened for well, Kevin Nealon, and I uh, got to open for Joan Rivers a lot. Joan Rivers, and, and she liked me, would take me, and recently opened, in, you know, with uh, with Kevin Nealon, and and worked in Las Vegas, and uh, Norm McDonald, you know. We're real lucky here in Denver. We've got a wonderful comedy community, and mm -hmm. the comedy works. You know, Wendy Curtis brings in wonderful people. You know, my manager, Mike Raffer. We were lucky in that we have a, a Denver is a great place to live, comedy-wise, veterinary-wise. And one thing I'd like to say is, is in Mitch's department, we, we had a great alley, not only in Mitch but Diane Balkan, as as far as animal abuse or any animal cases was was such a, a, you know, a pleasure to work with and mm -hmm. such a voice for the voiceless, you know, and, and for, for animals. Absolutely. You know, one thing I will tell you, uh, Kevin came up to the Victim Advocates Association this year and he opened, he was the mm -hmm. opening act for all of these people that work with the worst possible things that happen to people. Mm -hmm. And if I th think of a group like police officers or sick kids or these victim advocates that, that need to laugh, mm -hmm. uh, Kevin brought down the house. It was thousand, over a thousand people there. He did a great job. I'm sure he did it for next to nothing because that's what Kevin does. Uh, and uh, he probably gives more of his time to people that need to laugh than just about anybody out there. And so, uh, you know, I've always been proud to be his cousin and He's a great expert for us, no. and to have somebody like Kevin in Denver that we can turn to when we have these poor animals that have been abused, maybe a rabbit, a dog. We had a gang member that cut up his dog's face, mm. and Kevin did all of the surgery there. I mean, to have somebody like that here is a real gem for mm -hmm. our community, so I just wanted to thank him. No, and thank you for all you do. I mean, we can always do more. I mean, you know, we're lucky. I, you know, I got you. I got. I've got. A, a, you know, a nice family. But we can always do more. And, and 
You know, they bring you a, a turtle that some mean person cut the lips off. But we're lucky to live in Denver because then I found, I knew this guy, Arnie Table, Dr. Arnie Table, a reconstructive uh, oral maxillary facial surgeon. Mm -hmm. And it does all these reconstructive things for people's mouths with cancer and he's taking pieces of rib. And, and so I went to Arnie and I went to his practice in Cherry Creek and took this turtle and he goes, we can do something. And he took we tiny bone screws and made a mold of the other turtle's jaw, Dr. Table, and then and then fixed it. And, and I go, how much do we owe you? And he goes, you couldn't pay for this. But he goes, it's a turtle and my Aww. kids are going to think I'm a hero. Right. So, so you, you know, you, there, there's people in Denver that, you know, if you know who to go to, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're lucky that there's a network of people that are willing to help. And, Absolutely. And so I, I think that, you know, people are, are there were, they're still kind. Yeah. I mean, At the kind, end of the day, they are. And we're so lucky to have you here in no, Denver. Kind, yeah. Kindness yeah. saves the day, man. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here, Dr. Kevin Fitzgerald. So, such a pleasure to be with you. And we appreciate all the work that you do. And thanks for being a guest uh, today with Denver DA Mitch Morrissey on this edition of Dialogue Denver DA. I'm Tamara Banks, and we'll see you next time. And thanks for joining us.